0: Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be Welcome everyone to episode 19, a special episode of Top of Mind. We are covering Silicon Valley Bank today, and we are recording this on Monday, March 13th. It is 1121 in the morning. A lot of news has happened over the weekend. Uh, We recorded episode 18 on Friday, right as this news was breaking over the weekend. A lot of uh, things have developed. Uh, we posted that episode today. So today at 5 AM that hit all of your devices and we're recording an update now, uh, which will go live either later today or tomorrow. So, uh, we just thought that we would give a high level summary for what's going on. Um, why is it happening? What's the impact to you as a client of concilio or really kind of anyone out there and then what potentially happens next? I'm joined, as always, by Hao Dang, our uh, Chief Explanation Officer here at Concilio. CEO. He's going to help us. Yep, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to help us break down what is going on. So, where should we start? Gosh, okay, I'll just kick off with this. This yep. weekend the second and third largest bank failure failures in the united states happened uh the first being washington mutual back in 2008 which was right at the start of the great financial crisis silicon valley bank was the second largest bank failure and signature bank uh was the third largest bank failure so let me pause there how why don't you give us a summary for just what happened over the weekend and uh and we'll we'll, we'll go from there
1: yeah well Good seeing you, Chris. I hopefully the next time we see each other, it's going to be under funner circumstances. But the emergency pod has to has to go through. So <laughs> let's start with Silvergate because I think they're the first shoe to drop. So mm-hmm. everyone, um, at least from what I'm getting from the headlines, feels like it was uh, Signature Bank. It was um, Silicon Valley Bank. All these S name banks is really fumbling with me. Yeah. Um, Silicon Valley Bank is essentially the the second bank to fail in this, I guess, the higher rate regime. Um, but it was first Silvergate. Their exposures were mostly with crypto. So they were taking assets from, let's say, Bitcoin or, or Dogecoin or whatever coin people thought they had value behind, and they stored it with Silvergate. And Silvergate did Pretty well through twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, for the most part, um, by doing this because they were really one of the few banks, along with Signature Bank, which is the th- I guess the third shoe to drop, that they would do business with crypto exchanges or essentially be the hub for crypto traders or hmm. investors. I don't know what you call them. Um, crypto broke people. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how, no. how there's any value there. So. Since there's no value behind it, all this business that they've been doing, and with the, the collapse of crypto in the last four, three or four months, where they're experiencing essentially what's a bank run, but they lost value of their their collateralized assets. So they, mm-hmm. they can't stand on their own two feet anymore. So that was the first bank. The second bank was uh, the one from Friday, Silicon Valley Bank, SVB they they catered specifically to startups, and startups have been pretty cash-starved, right? We're not talking about established businesses that have a war chest of, of money like uh, Apple, right? Or, you know, they're maybe not even profitable. So they're relying on venture capital, you know, in lump sums that are parked at the bank, right? So if you got a Series A, Series B, C, D, E, F... Um, round funding, you're taking that, let's say, multiple millions of dollars and parking in the bank to operate, to, to stay in business. So you use that for payroll, you use that for leases, you, you use that for any subscription services, right? A lot of these companies use SASS or other types of um, technolog- cloud cloud storage, right? Mm-hmm. So So the impact of this particular one was the nature of their client base or the customer base, right? They're, when you serve that, you know that niche of a market. When that market suddenly can't hold itself up, at least in terms of generating new cash or depositing in new cash, then we're they're going to need cash coming from the bank, which is has been supplied by new deposits from new venture capital deposits. Right? It's always kind of feeding itself when. That, that this kind of money is so easy to access, you're going to get new deposits to back the withdrawals. But when interest rates rose, the the amount of deposits slowed first, but then the the amount of withdrawals kept kept Take pace, down. and if not yeah. accelerated, right? So we got this double whammy from a bank's point of view, where you're not taking in new deposits, but you're taking you're you're getting liquid liquidated for you know business reasons. It's not for speculation or anything like that and and i think that came to a head on friday well it didn't not think right that it really did happen and
0: Fact. they were forced to close <laughs> right mm-hmm.
1: and then what was the third bank uh
0: uh signature bank
1: signature bank was similar to silvergate um where they they had a crypto wing it wasn't as concentrated as silvergate but they were mm-hmm. impacted by the crash of crypto assets
0: yeah, Signature Bank also had some business customers as well, but they were impacted by by the crash in yeah. crypto. So, yeah. but yeah, to your point, it seemed like the first shoe to fall was Silvergate, which then kind of spooked the rest of this. But it's interesting how something that seemed to start over in the crypto space then became the word now in the news is contagion became sort of a contagion in in the regular banking space, and particularly here in this bank that services VCs, yep, uh, and startups. For context, so there's 120,000 startups and VCs in the U S 50% of them bank at SVB. Yeah. So there was a very big concentration here and with all of the VC funding over the last number of years, um, Silicon Valley bank has grown a ton. So a little stat here. So March of 2021, um, the bank's total deposits over the, the next 12 months went from 62 billion to 124 billion. So they doubled, they went up hundred percent for context over at chase chase went up by 24% first Republic bank is also in the news, right, right now for uh, a lot of reasons, uh, but they were up 36%. So, uh, again, the key here is a lot of deposits went into the bank and then the bank needed to invest those deposits, um, as banks do, and then withdrawals happened, which caused this forced sale. Let's exactly. go through the play yeah, let's go through the play by play there. so kind of kind of the first step in this so whether it was Silvergate or, or whatever, but apparently um, VC started telling their founders and their portfolio companies to pull money from Silicon Valley Bank. This could have been because of the cash withdrawals at Silicon Valley Bank and it was under in, intense scrutiny um, you know because they looked like they needed to raise capital. Um, but there was also a newsletter that went out by apparently a prominent person in the VC community that every VC reads this letter and potentially that has what's caused, um, all these VCs to basically say, Hey, get your money out. So that started, um, you know, this letter went out, VCs then started sending messages to all their companies said, get out that effectively triggered the run on the bank. And let's be clear here that probably no bank, even though the U S banking system is very, very strong and and resilient at this point, much due to regulation coming out of the great financial crisis, no bank can withstand massive, massive withdrawals of cash. Um, Every bank would have to fall to the FDIC if that were to happen. So that is what happened here. So the bank, um, the bank effectively had to sell 21 billion in in bonds in order to meet their deposits. Um, effectively on Thursday, um, they had a massive withdrawal. So I'm just going to read a statement by the FDIC here. So March 8th, uh, the bank announced a loss of approximately 1.8 billion on a sale of investments. So they sold, uh, roughly 20 billion of Uh, mortgage backed securities and U S treasuries in order to raise cash, to meet ongoing withdrawals. They lost 1.8 billion on that sale. So then they turned around and they, uh, conducted a capital raise to raise about two to two and a half billion, um, by selling stock. Uh, the problem with that and selling stock in their own company, the problem with that is that the stock went down 60% two days in a row, uh, which makes it a lot harder to raise that much capital when your stock is, is so low. Um, on March 9th alone, initiated withdrawals out of the bank were $42 billion. That was 25% of all of the deposits that they had. Um, at the end of business on March 9th, the bank had a negative cash balance of $958 million. The bank tried to raise money. They couldn't do it. And immediately the federal reserve has to take over based on that precipitous cash withdrawal they're deemed as, as insolvent. So yeah, all it was of that of happened how
1: quickly that, that, that action occurred too the, the takeover.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, what, I mean, truly I'm stepping back here and what an amazing system that a, a bank can fail yet the federal reserve can take it over and the FDIC insurance steps in. Um, they initially said, Hey, if you have two fifty in the bank or less, you know, you're good. And then you're going to get a note that when we ultimately sell the assets, you'll get whatever your cut is back. This is a bank that the vast majority of deposits were well over $250,000. This is a business bank. There's millions and millions of dollars of cash sitting there. Um, and so that could have caused huge, huge fallout. And so the federal reserve ended up coming in and saying, we'll back all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and to be clear, this was a, a, a backing of the deposits shareholders are not getting anything, the bondholders are not getting anything, and the executive management has been removed. Um, So this is not necessarily the bank bailout of years ago. Um, People got fired, Uh, shareholders don't have anything, but the deposits, the businesses that just chose to store their cash there and they weren't doing anything wrong, those people will be made whole.
1: Yeah, I think Chris brings up this very novel point is the Silicon Valley bank was allowed to fail. It did fail. So stockholders mm-hmm. lost everything. Equity holders lost everything. Um, certain debt holders or liabilities will not be made whole, but that's kind of the position that investing in a debt security can happen, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes uh, loanies I guess, fail to pay their debts, and that's the risk. So – The government did not bail out the bank i I think we have to be really clear on that they bailed out the depositors Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: i think that's a really really important distinction
0: it's also worth noting that over the weekend more than 100 venture capital firms signed a statement saying that they would continue to work with silicon valley bank provided that the bank was sold to another entity and so you know effectively the the point of confidence there was hey this isn't the bank's fault The bank didn't trigger the run, the run happened. And then, you know, once that happens, the bank just goes insolvent. So it wasn't that the bank was doing bad things necessarily. Um, this statement was started by general catalyst. Who's a a pretty well-known VC down in the the Bay area, but Sequoia Kleiner Perkins also signed this. These are quite well-known, VCs as well as many, many more. The general catalyst CEO came out and he said, the run on the bank was an unintended consequence. Of many investors trying to do the right thing for their own portfolio companies, panic wasn't the way to handle it.
1: Yeah, from from the company's point of view, is you got to make payroll, and if you hear even a whiff of a bank run, you have you to preserve your company, you have to be first to withdraw. Mm -hmm. And as bad as an outcome as it's been, the companies that were able to get their money out first had didn't stress about meeting payroll or not and the ones that didn't um have limited access to the funds today and can you operate like that that's that's a very you can't operate a business without being if you can't pay bills or pay payroll
0: A question here that you might be able to help us understand so the federal reserve came out on sunday saying that they would fully back deposits right so previously they said only 250 and below will depart will ba- will uh, back excuse me they said we'll fully back it and they're doing a similar thing at signature bank uh as well and they said you know you everybody has access to their money monday morning which i haven't heard how that's going i haven't heard if you just log in your money sitting there or how smooth that's been but that's what they said would happen um they said, the Federal Reserve said, as a result of, or, or, or part of all this, no losses will be borne by the taxpayer. Do we know how that works at this point? Or can you give us some clarity on that if you happen to know?
1: Yeah, I think, well, again, the the losses by the taxpayers, if we go back to 2008, there were actually zero taxpayer losses. There yeah. were, it was actual gains, right? But the issue is, it, it is funded by taxpayer dollars, which they're confident they could get back. So, um, let's say you got a hundred billion dollars in deposits that you need to honor, but you have a hundred billion dollars in assets that have varying levels of liquidity. Meaning, I could sell some of the stuff tomorrow and get forty billion, for example, and cover forty mm-hmm. billion. But I got a sixty billion dollar gap, which includes um, stickier assets like real estate or or non-traded assets, or or, whatever whatever the case is. Those things take time to liquidate, right? Let's say Silicon Valley Bank owned these buildings. I can't liquidate a building in a day. I got probably right. multiple years to get out of the, the contracts, get out of uh, the lease, and then finally sell it. So that, that period, that lag period between liquidating the assets all completely to pay for the liabilities I think that's what the the government is covering, meaning you got a hundred billion here, and potentially a hundred percent of it will be drawn down, which is again the that money belongs to the depositors, no one else. The bank doesn't own them, mm-hmm. right? So what the government was backing was that access to that hundred billion, and then what they have here on this other side is, you know, worth assets that are worth something, that it just takes time to sell. And I think that, but that gap between being able to sell those assets and the liquidation of those liabilities, that is, I think that is taxpayer funded. So the statement from the Fed and um, the Treasury saying it doesn't include taxpayer money, yes and no, because they're confident that the taxpayer will be reimbursed for it. But at the same time, we're staking up our assets to, to back someone else's liability. So, so I think that's a bit misleading from my point of view, because it does have to get funded by someone and that's us. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. We'll see. So, and what, how's referring to there is the, the TARP program that came out in the financial crisis back in of 708, uh, TARP was the troubled asset relief program that was, uh, essentially, a huge blank check to bail out all the big banks and stabilize the the financial system during that time. Uh, the TARP ended up being about a forty billion dollar program, and it ended up returning somewhere around fifty five billion back to taxpayers. So, there's was like a fifteen billion dollar uh, yeah profit with that um, with that whole with that whole program.
1: Well, the anger I totally understand the anger uh, behind it, where some companies were able to. You know stay in business uh look at aig it's still operating um the difference is there's not going to be a silicon valley bank it's gone
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. um aig so yes that was a bailout but the other alternative there is financial collapse right and prior to the system we we let banks close and shutter and depositors were never made whole and i'm going back to the um 30s, 40s, 60s, right, 50s and 60s, where the the role of the FDIC and uh, the Federal, Fed, you know, Federal Reserve, really have been worked out through those decades, right? People had to suffer pretty badly, and I think this is. I, I made a mention of how quickly the, the administrative process went, but I think we've have quite a bit of experience in working it out over the last 100 years
0: so I want to come back just for a point of clarity so at Silicon Valley Bank essentially the bank doubled in a matter of a year and so then the bank had all these deposits that they needed to invest and f- banks banks don't hold enough cash an actual cash to meet all their deposits immediately um, you know if you go into the bank and you ask for enough 20 bills they'll say we don't actually have those here for example right they need to go yep. go transfer them so Cash is invested. And so what happened is with all of the great VC funding over the last number of, of years has doubled the size of the bank. The bank said, okay, we need to invest some of these funds. And so, um, they had at the, basically the time of these withdrawals, they only had about 14 billion in actual cash cash. They had about 26 billion in things that they could sell quickly. And then they had another 91 billion in what they call HTM securities hold to maturity securities, things that they aren't planning on selling before maturity. It was that sort of tranche of assets that they invested a lot of this excess cash in. And, uh, I believe those were mostly three year treasury bonds that were paying about 1.6%. And what happened was they needed to go and sell some of that 91 billion they sold about 20 billion of it and because of where interest rates have gone they they lost money on it uh, to the tune of about two billion then had to do the equity raise you know again out outflows still were way more than deposits they couldn't raise enough cash and seized by the FDIC but I just want to provide a little bit of context for that because uh, the bank was effectively doing the right thing they were investing their deposits this is just a, a Classic mismatch of the the liabilities of the bank uh, and the timing of of those investments.
1: Yeah, on, on this on the, like a ten thousand foot view, that's what banks do is they'll take assets that they believe won't get called. Right, essentially, those uh, deposits that they experienced were in twenty twenty were going to be the way twenty twenty one and beyond. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a mistake of a lot of people made in this post-pandemic era era was when you had a growth pattern of a certain way during the pandemic, the the biggest mistake was to assume that growth pattern would continue, right? Right. And and when you start doing your actuarial tables thinking, hey, this is the rate of withdrawal, right? Let's say it's 10% a year. And 90% we can safely put in two years, three years, four years, and beyond. That's where um, you'll, you would get in trouble once your forecast starts breaking down, when the withdrawal rates suddenly increases. Or on the flip side, the the deposit rate decreases. Yeah. So now, but they, they got sandwiched. And the amount of deposits slowed down, right? And we, we talk about interest rates, but this is important where venture capital has a hurdle rate suddenly of zero, right in
0: 2020
1: Mm -hmm. interest was earning zero now it's the hurdle rates five percent and when you're talking billions of dollars that five percent versus zero percent is incredibly valuable to you as the the venture capitalist and to start funding these startups that probably have zero path to profitability you're not going to get many investments as you did in 2020 because capital is so much cheaper so, so yeah, this is this is a result yeah. of easy capital and quickly tightening capital. So we're seeing a full market cycle yeah. in a matter of like two years. So, so again, we're Chris and I aren't letting the bank off the hook, but there's a lot of things that happened here where it created this perfect storm. Right? You think about how far behind the the curve the Fed was in 2021 saying. Uh, inflation was transitory. We're going to keep rates lower because we're not so sure about the economy. Right. And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, inflation's here to stay. We're going to jack up rates by 0.75, 0.75, 0.5. And basically hike until something breaks. And I think we got something to break.
0: (laughs) I posted this on LinkedIn on Friday and I said, "The, the Fed's been swinging around their cannonball and I think they finally hit something yeah and, and 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 that this could be that right what exactly you're explaining is is you know they wanted things to slow down um but this particular bank with 50 percent of its customers in the industry that is getting kind of no funding right now yep. is the exact perfect black swan storm that causes this I just yep. want to take a moment too and expand on bond rates I, I know that we've talked about this before we talk about this a lot with clients too and you know many many of 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 well our clients but really anyone out there has seen negative returns on their bonds last year yep. and uh, this bank also had that issue right it's the asset liability mismatch of well we need this money maybe in three years so we're going to invest it at 1.6 percent. if they didn't have to sell it they wouldn't have lost money yeah, but they had to sell it so they lost money and that's that's the issue here. Um let's imagine that you bought that same bond. I'll keep the math a little easier. You put $100 in a bond and it was paying you 2%. If you held that bond for 10 years, you'd make $122. Now, today that same bond's paying 5%. So if you bought that bond $100, 5%, and you held that bond for 10 years, you'd make $163. So the total rate of return goes from $122 to $163. The point is when interest rates go up so much, the bond price must go down in order to compensate yeah. because you you're the one holding that 2% bond. So it goes down by 25% The difference between $163, and $120 is 25%. Um, the longer dated bonds, the greater this fluctuation is shorter dated bonds, the lesser the fluctuation. But that's exactly what happened here to the bank is those assets on our balance sheet that they didn't think they needed, that they did need, weren't worth as much as they needed them to be when they sold them. <laughs> and that is exactly what spiraled.
1: Yeah. Cause you, you use the key term, uh, they categorize as held maturity, And when you sell a CD early, you're taking a penalty. And essentially right. that's what they did was um, U.S. Treasury bonds are risk-free in the sense that they haven't defaulted, but they're not risk-free in terms of interest rate movement. So what right. Chris described there is an opportunity loss there because if I were an investor buying Treasury bonds and they were paying 5% and someone like Silicon Valley was selling it at 1.2%, believe me, I'm going after the 5% bond day and day right. out. So how they make up for that difference is they're they're discounting the bonds that they're holding, by the tune of 10% below, right? Because their shortfall was uh, $2 billion on $20 billion in in sales. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty straightforward, easy math. Um, but, yeah, if they held to maturity, uh, the issue was they couldn't, right? They had to come up with fresh capital to, to feed this beast that had been withdrawing for the last year and a half. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Okay, let's shift over to how are our clients impacted. Really how how is anybody impacted from this?
1: Yeah, these banks are publicly traded. Uh the all the ones we mentioned, in addition to uh First Republic, right, they all have um index exposure. Mm-hmm. Specifically, they have greater exposure in small cap and mid cap value because they are relatively smaller companies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But those are the exposures outside of ha- having direct ownership of the kre um regional bank etf or mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Uh,
1: sbny ticker we're we're seeing very low allocation to it if you're in the S and P, so the s p uh 1500 which is like the broad market holding um you know they're less than you know f- 0.05 basis points i can't count how little that the decimal is like, <laughs> so it's like a one, so, one thousandth of a, I, of a percent.
0: I did, I did some math on it because I, I, I was struggling with that many zeros as well. So, um, <laughs> as of the end of February, Silicon Valley bank represents approximately 0.05% of the S and P index. So that is not 5%. That is not 0.5%. That's 0.05%. So what is that? So if you have $100,000 in the S&P, 0.05% of that is $50 in the stock. And of course that scales up and down with how much money you have in the S&P. Um, First Republic Bank is 0.04. Signature Bank, 0.01. Um, so even, even smaller. But uh, but the point is, those are just relative weights of the S&P 500. Uh, you know, if you own mid-sized companies and small-sized companies, you likely have a, a greater exposure there because these companies are a larger weight in a smaller index. But the potential, again, there's no good news here, but I guess the good news is that these companies are relatively small. So the impact to you as a owner of the S&P or a similar index, which is, likely what you own in part with us, and you know, potentially uh, on your own if, if you're not a client of ours, is is relatively minimal with those specific stocks.
1: Yeah, and I think the, the biggest risk is if you have direct ownership of the regional bank ETF or any regional bank. Um, I know prior heading into this, and I know you're gonna see a lot of uh, people said, oh, I saw it coming. One, don't believe them. I think that the biggest narrative heading into this was, uh banks, especially regional banks, were financially healthy. Yeah. Right? And um the amount of health is obviously being pulled back because um you know regulation changes in twenty eighteen. But we're we're looking at one, as a banking system had never been so flush with cash, right? We were talking about how banks had no incentive to give um interest rates on their savings rates because they don't need new capital, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm.
1: that that looking back was probably more of a direct uh, commentary on the bigger banks. That you know, if you're if you're banking at those big national banks, they're not giving you any percentage on your savings. But the smaller right. banks, you know, maybe could have stemmed this by bringing in more deposits by increasing their, their rates that they're paying. But again, that tightens their their operational um, products because they have to make it up somehow, right? Mm-hmm. So if they're paying 4 or 5% on their savings accounts just to keep them there, what does that do on the, the back end for the amount of risk that they're taking on uh, for like the held immaturities or, or available for sale assets? Because you have to clear that 5% right? You have to be able to pay depositors 5% that you promised them.
0: Right. Right. I, I, I'm looking at a chart here from Factset research and, uh, Silicon Valley bank, they had the largest deposit growth out of all banks. Uh, I believe this is truly all banks. Um, which would make sense. It's easier to grow a small number than a big number, right? Chase doesn't double very easily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but because of the unique, aspect of many smaller regional banks you know they have mid-sized businesses as their relationships and so that means that the vast majority of the deposits in these banks are over the 250. so you might be thinking like you know i generally don't keep 250 in cash i generally invest above and beyond that right so then it's invested and diversified right well you know if 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 you're a business you, you might have anywhere from 250 to, you know, a hundred million dollars in that bank, you know, say you're, you're a startup, right. And you're paying things down. And so 97% of the deposits in Silicon Valley bank were above $250,000. So that's what would be. So, um, such a big issue here is that all of these, you know, 120,000 startups and and VCs, half of those all banked here, if all that capital went away, Yeah, Yeah, we're not talking about the, the bank as much as we are people's people's jobs, frankly, um, you know, take, take a page out of innovation and the, the, what these companies ultimately become in the future. But we're talking about, you know, people's jobs that are at risk if they can't make payroll, which is then making mortgage payments and car payments and everything else. So the, the trickle down effects of that type of a thing, because, um, the bank is so critical is actually quite huge. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap up with what happens next. So, um, (laughs) it's a bit of a waiting game with more news, but in your view, how, what happens next?
1: I think we're seeing quite a bit of speculation and confusion and that's Mm. leading to misinformation. Um, I'm seeing money markets being targeted as the next possible run, but that's a very different animal here. And that's probably so complex and very difficult to explain, uh, the reverse repo market, that I think that there's always risk in any kind of financial system as as tightly wound as this is. But I think we need to table speculation for right now. It looks like the market is responding pretty positively to uh, the depositor bailout.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it looks like contagion could be, at least for what the market's pricing in, The contagion could be. Um, pretty much closed in, I hope. Um, I think, I wouldn't be surprised to see a few more banks go down, but if we can keep it to the ones that had assets in such high-octane cash-needy businesses, then I think Main Street, people like you and me, right, who aren't in the tech business, um, we will be able to access our money with no problems, um, without fear of a bank run with the people we bank with, right? So,
0: yeah.
1: uh, I'm with the credit union. Um, I know credit unions are pretty pretty tight with who they work with. They don't work with uh, cash needy businesses because of the cash flow needs, right? It's, they need a more stable um, round of funding from their depositors. And I think a lot of regionals, right? And the regionals are down 9% today. Um, I want to believe that a lot of it is throwing the baby out with the bath of water because two yeah. banks fail, and all of a sudden the entire banking industry is weak. I, I yeah. find that really hard to believe, especially midwestern banks who, you know, are seeing a windfall from uh, cost of energy going up, right? And we're, we we had this issue in Texas, Kansas City, uh, where when energy crashed, those banks in those regions failed. It, but it wasn't bedlam. Right, I totally get that. That startups in Silicon Valley is the world's economy essentially, because that's probably the most expensive place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think it's if it's limited even to the most expensive place in the world essentially. I, I don't think that contagion, especially with the um, the background of why these banks failed for whatever reason it's so it's so niche it's so it doesn't seem like it would be a a broad impact like we saw in the financial crisis right because everyone well, knows a home
0: yeah i mean in, and yeah. in, to your point it is the right move to have confidence and restore confidence in small to mid-sized banks otherwise everybody's just going to go bank at chase b of a and wells just get right bigger yeah and they'll just get bigger. Yeah. And so, you know, competition is, is good. And when you're a small business, you know, chase doesn't want to talk to you when you're a huge business, chase wants to work with you. Right. And so, you know, we've gotten a lot of emails from, from many of our providers saying, you know, Hey, we don't work with Silicon Valley bank. And so, but if you're a real startup, be startup, um, I, you know, have a couple of friends that are in the startup startup community. Me too. Yep. Guess where they bank Silicon Valley bank. Yep. So, um, it's, it's a big deal, but we, you know, we need these specialized banking assets and, you know, hopefully, you know, I think, unfortunately it will likely get sold to a big bank, you know, Goldman will buy them or chase will buy them or something like this. Cause the FDIC is not going to be in the banking business. They're just going to broker a deal and, and sell the bank for its assets. But, um, but no, you, you people need confidence in their small banks. Um, that's an important part of our banking system.
1: Yeah. And I think the, stock performance from the kre etf it is to me is it's a bit of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. but at the same time we're most likely seeing or going to see increased regulation on these banks yeah right um at least to the pre-2018 levels where where everyone should be stressed as not just the big multinational banks right so yeah i think stress tests are important uh, they're a burden on banks i totally get it but would you rather have a burden on the bank or a burden on the depositors? I picked the bank 10 out of 10 times.
0: For sure, for sure, yeah. All right, well, um, that's it for our update. We'll we'll post again as more things come out, but essentially what our hope for today was just to break down what happened, maybe a little bit about why did it happen, how are you impacted and, and what potentially happens next. So um, hope that was helpful for everyone. Hopefully it's the last we'll, one. <laughs> What's Hopefully that?
1: It's the last emergency podcast about banks. Right? We'll see. Hopefully
0: we don't post again tomorrow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it is, if we see, if you see in succession on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, new episodes, then things are probably broken down pretty bad.
0: Yeah, that's right. I hope yeah. it doesn't yeah. get there. That's right. All right. Thanks everyone for tuning in.
1: All right. Thank you.